Before I give the info about these states, because we're going to start to pray for the states uh, that have um, draconian measures uh, enacted to, to lock down our people, his people, God's people. Let me make a couple of common sense statements first. First of all, not allowing churches to open up violates the free exercise clause of the Constitution. We know this, right? We are allowed by the Constitution and supported by what God has given us as inalienable rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We are allowed to exercise, not just believe, not just worship, but to exercise our faith. Second, just because a church is open does not mean that someone must attend. Why is it closed? Because they don't want people to come to that building. Why can't they just open up? A person does not have to attend. They are free to come and go as they choose. Is that true? If a person really is afraid, they don't have to be there, but let the church buildings open up so that people who are not afraid can meet. And third, Scripture does, He does command us, the Lord commands us to meet together. Now, Hebrews 10.25 tells us what? Tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. And why is it that when the churches are locked down, people are saying, you know what, I think I'll just kind of sit there in front of the screen. (laughs) You know, there's only so much we can do with the screen. We need to be together. And God has designed us to be together in person with one another. And this is the approach that, for example, Grace Community Church in California has done, has enacted. Multiply thousands of people come regardless of what the draconian measures say. As I mentioned, we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters in three states, beginning with California. Under the direction of Governor Newsom, he's made contradictory statements and taken such measures that by any evaluation, one has to conclude he is attacking churches. Liberty Council, for example, offers the following information. Right now, the latest, as far as I understand, the latest that uh, the, the system that's going on in California right now is, is a tiered system. And uh, the uh, tier one is the most draconian, most uh, of, of a lockdown here. And tier one is no worship, no worship is allowed, not even in your own home with someone who does not live there. In other words, you can read the Bible, you can pray on your own, but if your mom comes in, if your dad comes in, if your brother or sister, a neighbor comes in, that is a violation of the law there. This crime, quote-unquote, is punishable by up to one year in prison. That's what's going on right now in California. However, those same buildings, if they meet in a building in the Tier 1 area, can be used for other things with no problem. Churches can be open, and they are open, but for a different reason. You can hold non-religious meetings in the same church building with no restrictions for the number of people. But as soon as the gathering transitions to a religious gathering, a total ban kicks in. Tier 2. Churches may allow people inside with 25% capacity, but no more than 100 people. We fit 120 here. What's that? That's about 25 people. And 
No matter the size of the sanctuary, the sanctuary could hold 25,000 people, but you can only have no more than 100. Yet there is no maximum limit of people for laundromats, warehouses, grocery stores, big box centers, malls, etc., etc., etc. With tier three, churches are limited to no more than 200 people, no matter the size of the buildings. Added to the list that we just talked about, are now entertainment centers, card rooms, gambling places, and the like. As late as last month, members of a number of churches face daily criminal threats and fines. Each criminal charge is punishable by up to one year in prison. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are feeling the pressure to worship but are conflicted. You know, Romans 13 tells us that we need to obey the authorities. Uh, governing authorities that are over us. And health concerns are huge as well. We need to pray for Governor Newsom to have a change of heart and make everything fair for him and to listen to accurate information. We need to pray for pastors to have wisdom and courage to do as the Lord would have them to do. You know, my understanding right now is that John MacArthur, Grace Community Church, has to pay $500 a week for violation. It's probably going to get more. But he's probably considering, well, it's just the price of doing business. You know, basically bribing the state to allow them to open up. But there are thousands of small churches. As I mentioned, MacArthur's church has like 8,000 people that meet on a regular basis. What about churches like us in California who can't afford $500 a week to open up? So we need to pray. And I've asked Kitty to, to pray for us. Pray for them on our behalf, for their behalf. So go ahead and pray. Lord, I have the privilege of lifting up California, the, uh, the state the state where my beloved grandmother who led me and my aunt who led me to the Lord, who led me to you, who told me who you are and that you love me. And they call California their home. California is a big place. It's a wonderful place. It's a beautiful state. And you have blessed it greatly. The Lord, the Bible says that you hold the king's heart in your hand. And you make him do what you want him to do. Newsom is no king, although he might consider himself as such. He is just a man who needs you. For whatever reason, he is believing the lie of the enemy. That he is somehow in charge. You are in charge. You are the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you, Lord Jesus, are Governor Newsom's King. And I pray, Father, that you would nail this home into his heart soon. That it is not about him. It is about you. And I know that so many of our brothers and sisters in California are praying the same thing. And some of them are probably so frustrated, they're praying Um, more imprecatory prayers. And I don't blame them. But they're your bride, Father, and your bride is suffering. And I pray, Lord, that you would stand up on their behalf in Governor Newsom's face and the people who support him. I pray, Lord, there will be no doubt in that state who is God, who is king. I pray for strength for our brothers and sisters. They would stand up I pray, Lord, that they would sing 
that they would sing before your throne, that nothing would hold them back, that they would stand, stand their ground. We are, as a nation, are watching them. And we know that they have, they are in a wonderful place in your economy. We love them. We lift them up to you. We pray your protection upon them and especially upon their children. In Jesus' name, amen. Illinois is the second state we're going to be praying for. In an appalling example of persecution, levied on one who actually lived in a country that was persecuted, he escaped that country to come here. Kristen Ionescu, pastor of Elim Romanian Pentecostal Church, not only fled Romania while it was still under communist rule, he ran into persecution in Chicago. Similar to what Governor Newsom is doing in California, Governor Pritzker, accompanied by Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, have put in place heavy heavy measures that are definitely unfair to the church. When the COVID crisis hit, Elam Romanian Pentecostal Church willingly closed out of an abundance of caution for those in attendance, as well as respect for the two weeks to flatten the curve. Wasn't that was initially designed to do two weeks flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm the health care system? That's what it was initially. Now it's we have to eradicate the disease. I think the goalposts have moved a lot. But when Governor Pritzker began allowing big box retailers and abortion clinics and recreational marijuana stores to open while churches were still restricted to just 10 people, regardless of the sanctuary size. The largely Romanian immigrant population of Elim Pentecostal Church grew uneasy. When Pritzker later announced that churches could be allowed to increase their attendance to 50 people, but only after a mandate, a mandatory vaccine was to be released in 12 to 18 months, Elim Romanian Pentecostal Church said, no more. You see, they did everything that was required for them to do. They even put at their own experience massive, uh, put massive amounts of money into a, a uh, ventilation system that was, was HEPA and, and all those kinds of things, HEPA filters and things that, that really, really cleansed their system. They deep cleaned continually, social distancing, wearing masks, everything they were asked to do, but it was not enough. And so when Pastor Inoscu pushed back, eventually the situation became very heated between him and the governing authorities, so much so that the church received an official notice from the Chicago Health Department declaring Aileen Romanian Pentecostal Church to be a nuisance. And as such, the city threatened a summary abatement. And what that basically means is that the government could have taken over the church, could have taken the property and raised all the buildings to the ground. Situation is still tied up in court, and the hope is it will wind up in the U.S. Supreme Court. That's where they're headed. We need to pray for Pastor, Pastor Ionescu that he will continue to have the courage and wisdom to navigate excuse me, the waters of persecution. We need to pray for the leadership in Illinois to include Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker that their eyes may be open to see the blatant unfairness of how they're treating Christians. We need to pray for the members of the church to receive continual comfort and courage as Christians in the midst of these very trying times. 
And we pray that the Lord be glorified in all this important situation. How the Supreme Court is going to rule in this is going to have dramatic, huge ramifications for all of us. And so I've asked Amanda to pray for us on our behalf. Yes. Oh, Aiden is. Okay, sorry. He's some hard names. Ionescu. Yeah, you don't hear that over there. Dear God, I have the privilege of praying for the state of Illinois, as in they are in a deep state of persecution currently. We ask that um, all the pastors in their churches have the power to stand up against Governor Pritzker. Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot in oppressing them. We ask that you be with all the all the churches to help them if the case does go to the Supreme Court to help them justify in justify their case as it is constitutionally unright and unjustful to shut down churches and let have abortion clinics open. We pray that you will be glorified in the ongoing legal challenges in the Supreme Court case, and um, we asked you would um, be with the judges in the Supreme Court and help them to see the, the unjust. We pray for the members of the Elim Roman Pentecostal churches, if they are in the heat of this, they are the the main victims in this situation. We pray that the mayor and the governor would have their eyes opened and their hearts changed in this case. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In a brazen act of defiance against the First Amendment rights of his own people in Kentucky, Liberty Council has defeated Governor Andy Brashear's unconstitutional church restrictions not once, not twice, but three times. Bashir tried to go to, and take this whole thing to court for him to lock churches down. He tried a fourth time to fight the legal battle in September and failed once more to convince the courts to allow his flagrant abuse of Christians' rights. Liberty Council represents Maryville Baptist Church in Kentucky, whose attendees were put on the equivalent of a 14-day house arrest for attending a stay-in-your-own-car parking lot Easter Sunday service. Of course, it was under the guise of quarantining for COVID. Governor Bashir had already been warned about interfering with churches in another Kentucky county when he sent the state police to Maryville Baptist Church. Governor Bashir should have taken that country's or that county's court, county court's order against the mayor of Louisville as a clear indication that he dare not harass Christians, but he refused to listen. On March 19th and 25th, Governor Bashir doubled down on religious restrictions and signed executive orders prohibiting all religious services in the state of Kentucky, while allowing many secular businesses like liquor stores, abortion clinics, and big box shopping areas to stay open and operate largely unrestricted. To add insult to injury, Bashir further mandated that churches could host an unlimited number of people in their buildings for food, shelter, social services like job training, but the very same people in the very same building could not open a Bible, preach the Word of God, or worship. The governor's own attorney, General Daniel Cameron, filed a brief against him in support of Liberty Council's case. 
U.S. Attorney General Barr also warned governors not to violate First Amendment rights of churches. Through them, God in his province is, is allowing this to come to the surface, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Again, the courts ruled against Governor Bashir three times to, to stop, but he wouldn't. During Liberty Council's recent argument at the Court of Appeals, Governor Bashir insisted that the four judges who ruled against him and his own attorney general were wrong. He requested that all of those decisions be reversed. This man, I think, has got some serious power issues. So we need to pray for Governor Bashir. We need to pray for Kentucky. Okay, Donna, go ahead. Um. When Pastor Glenn asked who wanted to pray for Kentucky, I jumped at the chance because they're a southern state like we are. Um, I have to admit that I did not know all the details of this, and I'm so glad that Pastor Glenn filled us in on that. Um, I'd like to start out by thanking you, Father, for your protection thus far. Um, In this country, we've had persecution, but nothing like what's in other countries. So I I thank you for your protection there. Um, But now as things are heating up in the United States, um, I do want to pray for Kentucky and the other states as well that are having some of this stuff going on. I ask for your forgiveness for me having my head in the sand and not realizing all of this. I knew about California, but didn't really know about Kentucky or... um, I guess I knew a little bit about Illinois, but, um, you know, I I just ask that you would keep the world from clouding our vision and keep our eyes open to the truth, uh, your truth. There there's definitely seems to be a lot of hypocrisy going on in, in the state of Kentucky with things that are open and not open. And it seems like um, Governor Bashir, even though I don't know the man, seems like he's got kind of a vendetta against the church from what I've heard. So, Lord God, we'd like to pray for him that you would just um, touch his heart. because something's, something's hurting him in there that's causing him to be so gung-ho against the church. So that there's some kind of hurt or some something in his background. But, Lord God, we know you can forge through any wall and break down any heart. So we just ask that, that Jesus would come into his life, that, uh, that and only you can orchestrate that. So we just we pray for the governor. Um, we pray for the people of Maryville Baptist Church, that they could remain steadfast in Christ through this fight, that they would uh, behave so above board and not with vindictiveness that people would say, how can they, how can they act like that? How can they still love and how can they still be the church of Christ? And um, people would see this example. And um, we just pray that those that are able to stand up for you, that the, that you would use them to humble the governor and that you would also protect them because it seems to me like anybody that stands up against him could be harmed in a way. Um, we pray that most of all that you be glorified through this situation. And we know that your your word never goes out void and um, that this would just be a shining example to the whole country, to the world. And um, 
also for the legal process to pr play itself out because it seems like this has come to court multiple times and <laughs> they've ruled in favor of the church and he just keeps going against it. So, Lord, as only you can do, we just put this in your hands and yes. um, let people be bold and may we keep praying for this situation. And we just thank you and praise you in your mighty name. Amen. You know, the the brushes that we have in this country, you know, with persecution, you know, is a big deal to us, you know. But our brothers and sisters around the world, they're experiencing much more intense persecution. But it's still persecution. You know, Jesus told us that we would be persecuted. Paul told us to Timothy, he says, you know, even if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. It didn't say the level. It just said in some measure. Our brothers and sisters in these areas that we're going to be praying for now, they're, ex they're experiencing extreme persecution. Same Jesus that we're following, same Jesus that he, who is comforting them and helping them, how we need to pray for them and how we need to demonstrate our unity uh, to our brothers and sisters, for our brothers and sisters in these countries. So let's pray for North Korea. In North Korean Christians are discovered, they are deported to labor camps as political criminals or even killed on the spot. This is reality right now. Driven by the state, Christian persecution in North Korea is extreme, and meeting other Christians to worship is nearly impossible unless it's done in complete secrecy. A recent increase in diplomatic activity, starting with the 2018 Winter Olympic Games in South Korea, has not changed anything for Christians in the country. Christians must keep their faith completely secret. If a Christian has a Bible or a part of one, it will be carefully hidden and only read when the believer is sure that they are alone. Most Christians do not even tell their own children about their faith until the kids are older teenagers for fear that they may let something slip. When Christians are discovered, they will be arrested and imprisoned in one of North Korea's terrible labor camps where they are worked like slaves and often tortured, and most are never able to escape. The news stories tell us of the country's ambitions on the world's stage. Yet behind the headlines, a massive underground church of 200,000 to 400,000 believers is alive and well. The church is alive and well in North Korea. Between 200,000 and 400,000 believers are there in the midst of all of this. Tens of thousands of these secret believers are held in North Korea's infamous labor camps. And it's a miracle that this underground church is able to exist. But more than that, it is thriving and growing. Remember what Jesus said. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I'm building it. One Christian has shared, one day the borders will open and we will unite with the South Korean and Chinese church to bring the gospel to some of the darkest places on this earth. There have been raids against Christians and killings, but new details can be published for security reasons, and I would guess that. Pastor Dong Cheo Kim arrested in 2015 and two Korean-American Christian lecturers at the Pyongyang University of Science and Technology, Tony Kim and Hak Song Kim arrested in April and May of 2017, respectively, were all accused, just because being Christians, they were all accused of espionage. But they were released ahead of the U.S.-North Korean summit in June of 2018. Do you remember that time? Remember they were, when they were released? 
In a change of hiring policy, Pyongyang University is now reportedly looking for non-U.S. staff, (laughs) a logical consequence of the United States travel ban on American travel to North Korea. There have been more reports coming from the North Korean Peninsula, but for security reasons, no details can be given. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea. I think Sandra's going to be praying. Father, I lift up to your hands our brothers and sisters who are in North Korea right now, who are suffering, who are in prisons, labor camps, remote areas, Lord, where they are where they feel like there is no hope. Father, I pray that you will let them know that you are with them always, that you will be there as they suffer. I pray, Father, that you will help them, strengthen them, and give them a boldness like never before so that they are able to reach those who are currently in the prisons with them, possibly some who may have never heard from you before or heard about you before, Lord, I pray that um, you will give them the courage to speak your name, the name above all names. Lord, I pray for the North Korean officials that they will come to know Jesus, that they will change their regime and the powers of evil that are within them, that they will be completely broken. I pray for the leader in North Korea, Lord, Kim Jong-un. I pray, Lord, that he will accept the one true God, and that is Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you will help the North Koreans who um, are without food, medicine, and clothing. Father, I pray that you will help the North Korean Christians, um, who are in houses and they are refugees in different areas. I pray, Father, that the church will help to strengthen them by sending physical supplies and needs that they may need, Lord, and that the different ministries around the world will help to send things into these particular brothers and sisters who um, are going without. And I pray, Lord, that you will help um, our brothers and sisters in, in, in and all over the world to send encouragement of some kind to help them know that we are here, that we are fighting with them. And Lord, I pray that Jesus's name will be spread across this country and that all the people that are there, Lord, will come to know him, come to know you. And Father, um, I just pray um, that you will help to encourage them and give them a sense of peace like there is none other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Somalia remains embroiled in civil war, tribalism, and violent Islamic militancy. Conversion to Christianity is regarded as a betrayal of the Somali family and clan. If Somalis are suspected of being converts, family members, and clan leaders will harass, intimidate, and even kill them. Christians with a Muslim background are regarded as high-value targets of al-Shabaab and have often been killed on the spot when discovered. The violent Islamic terrorist group al-Shabaab advocates Sharia law as the basis for regulating all aspects of life in Somalia 
This group has repeatedly expressed its desire to eradicate Christians from the country. Foreign jihadists are also present in the country, but Islamic oppression is not limited to militants only. Christians also face serious persecution from family, extended family members, and the community at large. In every sphere of life, private, family, community, and national being exposed as a convert to Christianity means life-threatening danger, often leading to on-the-spot execution. This persecution pattern is exceptional and puts Somalia high up on the category of extreme persecution. As a result, most Somali Christians keep their faith completely secret. But despite the risks, Somali people are coming to faith in Christ, some in miraculous ways. Now, praise God for that. He transcends borders. He transcends religions. He transcends governments. Amen. Over the last years, Their situation appears to have worsened, though. Islamic militants intensified their hunt for people who are Christian and in a position of leadership. In an attempt to reopen a church in Hagarsia, Somaliland, in August 2017, also failed as the government was forced to shut it down due to pressure from local Islamic populations. The government sometimes wants to open it up, but the people don't. Isn't that amazing? In the 2020 World Watch listing reporting period, Christians remain very vulnerable to attacks by Islamic militants. In the interest of security, no examples can currently be published. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Somalia. Who's praying? Sure. Father, your word tells us that uh, we have changed the glory of the incomprehensible God into an image made like corruptible man. And you have given them up, Lord, to uncleanness and changed the truth of God into a lie. Lord, you have promised to build your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there are those in Somalia, Lord, who are suffering greatly because they love you, because they have heard of you, and they want to worship you. And they know, Lord, that there is a reward for the suffering that they endure. And you have promised them, Lord, an inheritance as their reward. I pray, Father, you'd keep them from discouragement. That, Lord, you would work in their hearts to give them a a peace, a comfort that is beyond understanding of man. That, Lord, as they stand firm, even in their circumstances, that, Lord, you would give them strength, that you would give them courage to continue to stand regardless of their circumstances. As they suffer, because they stand for Christ, I pray you'd fill their hearts with the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with courage and strength and comfort. Give believers, Lord, boldness to share the gospel even under threat of being shunned by their family and friends of death. Lord, we have no concept what that might feel like. I pray, Lord, you would raise up godly leaders to train disciples to persevere and be made complete, equipped, Lord, for every good work. And I pray you would bring together, though, Lord, those who name the name of Christ in unity that they may worship together.
that they may find one another to be a comfort to one another. You tell us in Psalms, Lord, that the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. And he is not afraid of bad news, for his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And I pray for these people in Somalia, Lord, who face death, who face the threat of death. Lord, you're merciful and gracious, and we thank you that you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep them, care for them, give them a strong witness, Lord, that those who persecute them may recognize that they worship a God that is supreme. Yes, Lord. And that they would give themselves over, Lord, to serve you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we'll thank you, Lord, because you're going to do a great work in Somalia. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. An ongoing civil war in Yemen has created one of the worst humanitarian crises in recent memory, making an already difficult place for Christians even more difficult. The war has allowed radical Islamic groups to expand their operations in certain areas, leading to Christians being abducted and killed. Open church activities are forbidden, and leaving Islam is not allowed. Muslims who decide to follow Jesus could face the death penalty. Yemen is a strongly Islamic nation, and all Yemenis are considered Muslims. The maximum scores in the national and church spheres of life of a country where Islamic oppression is the main persecution engine, and most Christians come from a Muslim background. The church in Yemen is composed mostly of Yemeni Christians with a Muslim background who need to live their faith in secret. They face persecution from authorities, including detention and interrogation from family and radical Islamic groups who threaten these believers with death if they do not reconvert to Islam. Tribal law prohibits members from leaving the tribe, and punishments for denouncing Islam can be death or banishment. Both male and female converts to Christianity married to Muslims risk divorce and losing custody of their children. Christians suffer from the general humanitarian crisis in the country, but Yemeni Christians are additionally vulnerable since emergency relief is mostly distributed through Islamic organizations and local mosques, which are allegedly discriminating against all who are not considered to be devout Muslims. Various Christians were detained for faith-related reasons during the 2020 worldwide watch list reporting period. According to sources, both religious and non-religious factors are often involved in these cases. Several Christians had to leave their houses and relocate in the country out of fear of assassination for their faith or for war-related reasons in recent days. We need to pray for Yemen. So, William. Lord, I pray for um, the separated families, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. Lord, I pray that the Christians that are um, seem to be few would find each other and, and have a community where they can grow in their faith together. Lord, I pray for, for um, protection over the, the homes and lives of these families. Lord, I pray that you would provide their needs and comfort them. 
And, Lord, I pray that no matter what happens, Lord, that your glory would um, just be magnified through it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Colombia, church leaders are harassed, extorted, and even murdered by guerrillas or other criminal groups. This violence is often the direct result of Christians working for the defense of human rights or supporting a peace agreement that would restrict illegal activities of militant groups. Violence may also stem from Christians who work for environmental rights, working with youth or who denounce corruption and violence. In indigenous communities, there is a significant opposition toward Christian missionaries and indigenous converts who, as a result, face imprisonment, physical abuse, and the confiscation of property, among other forms of punishment. In addition, because of rising secularism, there is an increasing intolerance to Christian references and religious opinions in the public sphere, especially about issues concerning life, family, marriage, and religious liberty, because they are considered discriminatory and hate speech. Church leaders are being threatened, harassed, and extorted, and even murdered as a result of the violence perpetuated by guerrillas or other criminal groups are often protected due to corruption of local authorities. Sometimes the violence is directed toward the church leaders' families and entire communities to discourage anyone wanting to convert to Christianity. We need to pray for Columbia. Let's do so right now. Lord, there's extreme violence in Colombia. Lord, many of these Christians, our brothers and sisters, Lord, want to reach out and, and show your love. They want to show their involvement. They want to show their concern for their communities. They want to work against injustice. They want to work against all those things that would be um, shutting their uh, communities and making them worse, shutting them down. And Lord, they are the targets. Lord, they are trying to stand for truth. It's trying to pr- pr- promote truth in the, in, the, in the marketplace. But they're being shut down and their speech is being labeled as hate speech. Lord, these brothers and sisters desire so much to see Colombia to be a, um, a, a, a bastion of, of, of Christianity. But Lord, the guerrillas are there. Um, the, the, the people who, who want to, uh, to take control and, and be evil. But, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters there who are being persecuted for standing for righteousness. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would involve yourself in their lives in such a way that they would withstand the threats. And, Lord, the, the, those who have lost loved ones of recent days through martyrdom, Lord, that you will give them courage and that you'll help them. Help them, Lord, to stand strong. Help them, Lord, to be able to present the gospel, the true gospel that sets people free. Lord, the, the guerrillas right now, they are, they are possessed with hatred. They're possessed with a spirit of violence, and they want that country to come under their thumbs. But, Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. And so we pray, Father, that you would bring peace there in that place. We pray that you open the eyes and the hearts and the minds and the ears of the governmental authorities and give them the strength, Lord, to put down the, the guerrillas. We pray, Lord, that your gospel may go forth in Colombia and may Colombia be saturated with the gospel and may your people 
be multiplied and may Columbia be claimed for you. And we thank you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. I came across a backstory, and I'm excited to share this. It's a lengthy story. It's not too long, but it's, it's a little bit long. Uh, but the story involves how North Korea became North Korea today. Because there is a very, there is a unique story about their history. And it's not very long history. But it's, it's amazing what, what they have done. It's a dramatic, the, the dramatic political shift that it had. But it has served to make our brothers and sisters there very strong spiritually. The church in North Korea is alive and well, as we, as we know, as we heard. Between two and 400,000 Christians are there in North Korea. The Lord Jesus said he would build it, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And this story is about a guy named Professor Cho. Professor Cho grew up in Pyongyang the capital of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, popularly known as North Korea. A devoted patriot, he fought against United Nations forces for North Korea's founder, Kim Il-sung, during the Korean War in the 50s. Following the war, he left military duty, graduated from a, a university, and worked as a college professor for 30 years. But upon his retirement, the professor and his family were expelled onto the streets. There is no such thing as a pension in Korea. Cho had enjoyed a comparatively high standard of living, but the arduous march, the North Korean government's name for the perfect storm of flooding, crop failure, and the collapse of Soviet support, devastated the country in 1994 to 1998 and caused the economic situation of nearly every Korean, North Korean to plummet. The government, the sole supplier of food, stopped feeding all but a few of its 22 million citizens. Factories shut down. Trains ground to a halt. Water was turned off. Deaths due to starvation may have exceeded 3 million. A new social class arose, kojebi, meaning worthless birds. These homeless North Korean children wandered the streets in packs. These circumstances led to more than 1,000 North Koreans to attempt to flee to South Korea through China every year with the assistance of South Korean missionaries. But North Korea's army made this a dangerous undertaking. Only a comparatively small number of people survived this. Cho and his family were counted among the survivors. In March 2001, thoughts of imminent danger filled Cho's mind as he gripped the hand of his adult son and sprinted toward the Tumen River separating North Korea from China. A chill wind pierced him to the bone. Thick ice had formed on the river, and snow on top of the ice buried his feet. Almost immediately, a dog began barking. A soldier with a rifle swung his flashlight along the, the riverbed. And Cho and his son threw themselves flat on the ground, motionless. Suddenly, the word God leapt into Professor Cho's mind. Instinctively clasping his hands together, he cried out silently, God, help me. And just as quickly, the soldier turned away, dog in tow. Professor Cho was certain that this was the work of God. And choked with emotion, he said, God, thank you. Thank you over and over. 
Now, Cho was a Communist Party member, pledged by North Korea's 10 principles to, quote, make absolute the authority of the great leader comrade Kim Il-sung. But deep within him was a nearly forgotten memory from childhood. A friend who had once invited him to church where he heard of a God who loved him. Again, this is Korea. This is North Korea. Cho was in middle school then, in the time before the Korean War, when there were so many churches in Pyongyang that the city was known as the Jerusalem of the East. Crosses dotted the Pyongyang skyline. Young Cho watched with curiosity the many evangelists on Pyongyang's main street in the daytime shouting these words, Believe in Jesus, go to heaven. This is Pyongyang. When one of Cho's childhood friends invited him to church, he accepted. Church people welcomed him in, served him lunch, gave him gifts. And he sang a song that he would remember 50 years later about how God always remembers the poor. After his visit to church, young Cho eagerly shared the experience with his mom, but begged her not to tell his dad. But soon Cho's father discovered the secret and scolded him harshly. His father said he would not forgive Cho if he ever went to church again. So Cho did not go to church or think about God anymore. Cho's father was one of the original communists, a revered group who joined the Communist Party right after Korea's liberation from Japanese rule in August 1945. By party requirement, the elder Cho detested religion deeply. As a reward, he was permitted to live in Pyongyang as long as he and his family stayed in the good graces of the government. So younger Cho grew up in the capital city of North Korea, witnessing firsthand the establishment of the communist regime. When he watched North Korean propaganda movies, he cursed at the Americans he saw on the screen. He learned from the regime that American imperialism was North Korea's greatest enemy and Christianity is its preferred tool. And by the way, I've... I've uh, I've had uh, relations with a pastor who, who went, actually went to North Korea, and he saw on the school, in, on the walls of schools, elementary schools, of soldiers actually eating their children. That's what is taught there in North Korea today. Christians represented the largest voluntary social group in Korea before the Korean War. There were more than 2,000 churches in the country in 1942. After the 1945 partitioning of the country, the North Korean government attacked the church over the next three years and greatly weakened her. At the same time, Kim Il-sung nominated one of his mother's relatives, Christian pastor Kang Yang-wook, as a representative of the Chosen Christianity Federation. And this group established to support the Communist Party while absorbing the existing Christian associations, getting rid of them. On September 9th, 1948, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea was officially established in the North. Government officials trumpeted the end of religion in North Korea. This is 1948. No more steeples, no more evangelists, no more notebooks or pencils or gifts. No God except for Kim Il-sung. In late 1949, as the North was preparing for the Korean War, Communists arrested everyone who attended religious activities. They raided homes of Christians in search of religious books, which were regarded as seditious circulars. 
In a country where Japanese occupying forces had shut down 200 churches and arrested some 2,000 Christians 20 years before, the season of martyrdom had returned. By the time the Korean War began in June 1950, the government routinely arrested and persecuted Christian leaders on charges of sedition. During the retreat of North Korean troops, Kim Il-sung ordered the indiscriminate slaughter of Christians. There's no record of the number, but some estimate it into, into the tens of thousands. Tens of thousands more escaped to South Korea, founding a number of churches, including Yongnak, one of the 40 largest churches in the world in 2014. Ultimately and amazingly, the refugees from North Korea contributed to make South Korea the most Christian country in Asia. Isn't it amazing? Following the, North, the war, the North Korean government prohibited rebuilding church buildings that had been destroyed. Churches in Cho's neighborhood that were still standing were converted into schools or hospitals. That's how Cho and his fellow citizens came to forget about God. But as he held his son's hand in the swirling snow of the frozen Tumen River, Cho had a revelation. Like most North Koreans, he had forgotten God, but God had not forgotten North Korea. Cho and many others escaped to safety in South Korea. And while North Korea remains cut off from traditional journalism, historians are beginning to document the 100,000 Christians still living there. And again, this, this article was in 2014. And so it has grown increasing very, very quickly since then. In 2013, the North Korea Human Rights Records Center revealed detailed information drawn from surveilling North Korean defectors in South Korea. Significantly more people had seen Bibles in North Korea than previously thought. But defectors also told the story of religious suppression. More than 60% of those caught in religious activity were sent to political prisoner camps. And it continues. But I tell this story to let you know that the Lord Jesus is indeed king of all nations. He is Lord of all lords, including the ones who demand to be worshipped like a god. But it only took a few years, if you notice, for the political landscape to change in North Korea. Did you catch the part where the, the Koreans were, were being decimated by the Japanese? And then 20 years later, the bloodbath began again. In our country, we're on the knife edge of adopting a new kind of government called socialism. Socialism is the bedrock of North Korea's communism. That's where socialism leads. If history of socialism is consistent, then we would go by the way of North Korea, where in a few years after socialism takes over, churches will shut down and we will suffer. Now, it may not happen. The Lord Jesus, his sovereign, he may have more work for us to do. But if this American experiment of self-governance fails and we go by the way of Marxism, then we need to be ready to faithfully serve the Lord even in socialist America. That remind us of what Brother Paul Washer said a few moments ago. We're not going to be persecuted for believing in Jesus, for loving the Lord, but we will be persecuted for being very politically incorrect. True Christians derive their values from the absolutes of Scripture. And anybody committed to the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly trusts what this book says, no matter what anybody else says. 
And what happens with us is that it automatically puts us out of touch and out of step with the culture. And the more out of step we are, the more uh, of a threat, perceived or otherwise, we will be to the movers and shakers of our culture. So to close out our time of prayer today, our service today, I want to offer an equipping moment. In your bulletin, you're going to find a list of very politically incorrect affirmations and denouncements. Now, when I say denouncements, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about positions, okay? We've heard the term, love the sinner, hate the sin. Same kind of thing here. We hate the positions. We love the people, but we hate the positions. But this is Christianity 101 applied. That's what this is. These affirmations, these denouncements, Christianity 101 applied. As we read through them, we can see how out of step they are with our culture. And so I invite you to take this. And if you choose to, to recite these together with Liam and myself, because I'm going to have Liam read the affirmations and I'm going to read the denouncements. Let me emphasize here. These aren't meant to be snarky, okay? These aren't meant to go pick a fight. Again, these are things that's called Christianity Applied 101. This is what we are to believe and apply to our lives as Christians. This is just directly out of Scripture. But these practical reminders here, these are practical reminders. They remind us of the words the Lord Jesus spoke right before he went to the cross for being politically incorrect when he said that we are in the world and we're not of it. So follow along with the pronouncements, the affirmations, and the denunciations. And if you will, if you're so inclined, Repeat them, recite them with us. And so, Liam, I'm going to ask you to take you the mic. And so I want you to make an, an affirmation, and I'm going to make a denouncement. And again, if, if you want to do this, if you want to join in, but again, I, I encourage you to take this and put it in a prominent place because then these are the things that we need to draw the line in the stand over. We need to be prepared for persecution when it comes it's not time to discover where we stand on, on certain things then. We need to know now where we are. So, I hereby draw a line in the sand of my unwavering countercultural affirmations and denouncements. I'm aware of the price that I may pay for following Jesus in our culture. Affirmation number one. There are two genders, male only and female only. I denounce one's sexual orientation and gender identity arising from any source other than biological, while realizing that the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Affirmation number two. Marriage is between a biological male husband and a biological female wife. For the first man and first woman were God's special unique creation. Sexual activity is to be only between a husband and his wife within a, the covenant of marriage, primarily for procreation and secondarily <clears throat> pleasure to fulfill God's command for fruitfulness and prosperity. I denounce any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage of one biological husband and one biological wife while acknowledging the tragedy of divorce and remarriage. 
By the grace and mercy of God, all sexual sin is forgivable. Affirmation number three. God has made all people in his image. After his likeness, every person descended from our original parents. Therefore, every person is equal regardless of one's melanin shade and possess inherent dignity worthy of respect and care. I denounce systemic racism, critical race theory, and intersectionality, which are barriers at best and evil deceptions at worst, hindering or preventing fellow image bearers of God from loving and serving one another. Affirmation number four. Every person was created in part to take care of the earth, as God said, to subdue the earth, knowing that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I denounce earth worship, which has its source in macroevolutionary theory and denies humankind's unique place in the world to take care of it and not merely be considered as one species equal among all other species of animals. Affirmation number five. God has called us to live according to his ways, impossible apart from a saving relationship provided by the Lord Jesus Christ, obtained by repentance of sin and commitment to his gospel. I denounce any religion or system of theology that denies the truth of only one God, the full deity and humanity of Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rose again from the dead, and salvation coming from repentance of sin and faith in Christ alone. So with these affirmations and denouncements ringing in our ears, let's seal our commitments and prayers to the Lord at this time. Let's pray. Lord, you have called us together on this day. Lord, it's no accident that the people who are here right now are here by your sovereign appointment. Lord, we poured out our hearts to you on behalf of our brothers and sisters in this country and around the world. We declare to you, many of us declare to you the affirmations and the denouncements of things that are, that are totally, absolutely countercultural, but are totally and absolutely real and totally and absolutely true because you tell us, your word tells us of these things. I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us for the journey ahead. I pray, Lord, that you will help us on a continual basis to draw the line in the sand because, Lord, we are not looked upon very favorably in our world. Lord, your word has told us over and over again that it is a normal course of events, a normal state of, 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 of reality that your people will be persecuted. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us. pray that you help us to remember our brothers and sisters who are undergoing pain and suffering. And then, Father, when it finally hits us, that we will be ready and we will be able to withstand the persecution that is sure to come. Strengthen us, we pray, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done and what you are doing in our hearts even right now. And, Lord, I pray now as we turn our attention to the giving and as we sing, I pray that you would help us to do these things as an act of worship to you. And we're going to thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.